0: Some of you have heard me before speak, and I, I probably should have said this about four or five times ago when I spoke. Um, the English language is not my strong suit. Um, I am a numbers guy, right, Jeremiah? We, we're big accountants, so I like the numbers. But inevitably, when I speak, I will end up saying a word or two that uh, you've probably never heard of before. Um, and so if I say something that you're like, wow, Kevin must just be really smart, you know, he got all those words just just let that thought go okay just let it go just know that it's probably not in in the english language in the dictionary if you could talk to my family and we sit around the dinner table at night and i'll start talking i'll get yakking and all of a sudden i'll see caleb's head kind of go up like what was that he'll look at chelsea chelsea's head goes up it's like are we gonna tell dad that's not a word (laughs) and then lisa has no problem stepping in and telling me it's not a word and so uh lisa's a technical writer by trade and so uh So I have an English family, but uh, I just want to throw that out there. Hopefully everything that I say comes out okay and it is a word in English language, but if not, just bear with me and just show grace and mercy (laughs) as we work through that. But um, anyway, it's my pleasure to be here before you uh, this morning. So let's go ahead and and dive in. Dennis Rainey, some of y'all may know that name. He is the founder of Family Life Today. It was a crew ministry, Ministry of Campus Crusade. I think it's crew now. And he started this ministry years ago to strengthen the marriages, uh, provide avenues for that to be done. Uh, Weekend to Remember Conferences is something that sprang out of Family Life today. They also had, I guess, a daily radio show that they used to actually promote and strengthen marriages. And one of the things—Dennis is now retired, but one of the things he did during his time in ministry, he wrote a book called Stepping Up, called A Courageous Manhood, and it was written to men. And one of the things he said in there was, he said, as I got older, I got tired of just sitting around a bunch of men and hearing them talk about nothing of spiritual significance. And as you guys know, we can get guys together at any time, and we can sit around and talk for hours about nothing meaningful. We can talk about sports, anything you can think of. And Dennis, as he got older, said, I kind of got tired of that. And so one day he was on this hunting trip with a bunch of his buddies, and they were all kind of gathered around the night before they were going to go hunting in a, in a cabin or something. And so he got permission from his host, and he said, I asked the guys a question. Right when we got done eating dinner, he said, I just stopped him, and I said, hey, guys, what is the most courageous thing you have done? What is the most courageous thing you have done? Silence. And probably rightfully so, because if I were to ask any of us that question here this morning, we would probably have to take a moment and think, what is the most courageous thing I have done? Dennis would take that question, when he would interview his guest on his daily podcast or daily radio show, he would ask them that same question on the spot at the end of the interview. What is the most courageous thing you have done? And over the years, just listening to that, it was cool to hear what these individuals said. And Dennis talks about in his book. He says he would hear just a host of things, from doing what is right in the workplace, to tackling difficult issues with kids, choosing to remain faithful to a spouse, stories of forgiveness, heroic acts. And, you know, if we were to go around and ask this question of all of us and gave us time to answer it, there's two things that I'm sure would come out of this. One, we would all have something to share. Everything from from someone who's young, maybe talking about how they chose not to cheat or chose to defend somebody on the playground, all the way up to maybe some of you that have been on a missionary trip and have just done courageous things out there ministering. We would all have something to share and somewhere in between and there's two things that would come out of those conversations i believe one we would all be inspired by what you said anytime we hear of someone doing a courageous act it inspires us and then number two what we would see is those acts would in some way shape or form be inspired by love they would be inspired by love love of family love of country friends and in many situations i know in this room love of our Savior Jesus. And today, we're actually going to dig into a very, very familiar passage that talks about one man who courageously loved his Lord Jesus. And I hope as we dig into this, God will just use this for his glory, and then we will walk out of here encouraged for whatever role he has us to play here in the days ahead. So would you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23, and we're going to be in verses 50 through 56, so Luke 23, verses 50 and 56. And I'm going to be talking from the uh, English Standard Version today. Uh, when I when I study, I use three different versions. In IV 84, I use the Christian Standard Bible, and I use the uh, English Standard Version. So if something comes out of my mouth that's not listed here in the ESV, it's probably because I'm quoting from one of the other other uh, Bibles that I use. But this is the, the passage about Joseph of Arimathea and Jesus' burial. And obviously there's parallel passages through all of the other Gospels around that I'll be referring to. And when I refer to those, I will use the screen to refer to those so we can see those verses. But I think it's so easy for us to read a story very familiar like this, for those of us have been in church, and kind of forget what it must have been like at that time before Jesus was resurrected, when he was being buried what it must have been like for those believers and what they were feeling at that time and experiencing. So let's just try to, if we can, just kind of take a step back and try to put ourselves in that situation. If you start back at, turn to verse 46 in that same chapter. I'm going to read, starting verse 46, to get us up to verse 50. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Verse 47, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. So we have the centurion here. Obviously, if you were to look at Matthew's version of this, he says he even confesses Jesus was the son of God. Matthew's much more bold in what he says. So this guy, what he saw on that cross, he ended up confessing Jesus as the son of God just by what he witnessed. Verse 48, and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breast. And beating their breast is symbolic for grief and repentance because they had just witnessed a wrong right before their eyes. Like, what have we done? What have we watched happen here before us? They leave beating their breasts. And then lastly, look at Jesus' followers here, in verse 49. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. They had just watched the person they had given their all to be brutally murdered and hung on a cross. Can you imagine the confusion that was going on in their minds and like, what in the world has happened here? There's a verse here over in um, Luke, Luke 18:31 through 32. A couple of verses, actually. And this just reminds you what they, they didn't realize. They just didn't realize what was going on here or what was going to happen. Starting in verse 31, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. This is Jesus speaking. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. And look at verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Think about that. They didn't grasp what was said. And so here they are. I can imagine if I was there, what would be going through my mind. It would probably be the lowest point of the lowest point you can imagine for these believers. Confusion, sadness, guilt, despair, whatever, just a host of emotions. And so with that as a backdrop, you know, we sit here and we know, well, there's a risen Lord that happened two days later, three days later. Now, they're still trying to grasp what's going to happen. So when that backdrop, you come over here to verse 50. And I just love how Luke starts this out. With all the confusion, all the sadness, people just not knowing what to do, Luke starts out. Now there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. There was a man, a man's man, a man who three things we're going to look at today, courageously loved his Lord, sacrificially loved his Lord, and in doing so, God used him to remind us that he always fulfills his promises. A man who loved his Lord courageously, sacrificially, and a man that God has used to remind us that he always fulfills his promises. So we're going to hit those three points. That's your quick summary for the whole sermon right there. For those of you who just like to have the little nutshell version, boom, there it is. We're going to dig into that a little bit more. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about Joseph of Arimathea. Starting in verse 50, so Luke says, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God of god now have you ever wondered where arimathea was i've read this passage for years and i've never really asked that question but since now that i have to get up here and teach it i was like i probably need to know where arimathea was where where joseph he came from i don't know if you can see this this well the little red dot or whatever you call that thing up there there's arimathea so you can see it's probably 20 miles or so roughly northwest of jerusalem That's where most scholars believe Arimathea was. Now, I will tell you, that is not a conclusive uh, decision here, if you will. That's just where most of them think it is. Uh, Eusebius, who was one of the Christian historians back in like 300 AD, he actually felt it was more closer to Jerusalem in a town called Ramah. Uh, That was actually the birthplace of Samuel, for those of you that uh, love that kind of stuff. But most scholars believe Arimathea was about 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. So that's where Joseph, Joseph was from. One of the things about it they also say here is that he was a member of the council. And those of you that study God's word all the time, you know what they're referring to here. The council is the Sanhedrin. That is the top ruling body of the Jewish culture. They made the final ruling on all political and religious life. It was made up of about 70 men, roughly, uh, that was, was in there. And then they have the high priest. And so they would come together. Uh, Rome had given them some authority, uh, not complete authority, but given them some authority with decisions. And so Joseph of Arimathea was one of those. He was one of those top individuals. He had a prominent position. He was well-respected. The Jews would know who Joseph of Arimathea was because of that position. It's kind of like, I guess, close to what we would have maybe in our Supreme Court. He was on, um, you know, obviously our Supreme Court's a lot smaller than that, but that was sort of what that, this group functioned as. But one of the things that Luke says here that I want to make a point on is that he makes, it even, makes a point that even though he was a member of the council, he had not consented to their decision and action. Now, if you look at Mark 14, they basically say that the entire Sanhedrin basically agreed to crucify Jesus. However, Luke comes here, thankfully, and says he had not consented to their decision and action. So how can that be? Well, for those of you that ever served on boards, you know there's a quorum um, that we always have. So if I'm on a board and there's 10 people there, we, never know, we know we're never gonna have 10 people show up for any sort of our, our board meetings for decisions. So for us to do business, our bylaws will say, you need to have at least seven members there in order to conduct business. And so if I'm on vacation and the board I'm sitting on goes out and they make a decision, then it says the board All the board has consented to this decision, even though I wasn't there, because there was a quorum. Interestingly enough, here in the biblical times with the Sanhedrin, even though they had 70 people, they only had to have 23 to conduct business. Only needed 23 there to make a call on something. And so if you remember, when they were hastily pulling together, all of them late at night, actually illegally doing it, obviously they didn't have all 70 people there. But they were able to make a decision with enough that they did have there. So obviously they had at least 23. So Luke is basically reminding us, Joseph was not part of that decision, which is a key point. And then the last thing, before we dig into the main points, is Joseph was a follower of Christ. And I think it's so cool that God had already, in three short years, had infiltrated the group that was trying to put Jesus to death He had already infiltrated that group and brought one person to Christ, Joseph. Actually, two, Nicodemus as well. And it just reminds us how cool God is and how he works and how he can get into these situations. It's really cool. We're going to come back to that point here shortly. But back to the first point that I was talking about earlier. Joseph of Arimathea, he loved Jesus courageously. Verse 52. This is a short verse, but it's packed with a lot of good stuff in here. It says, this man went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. Mark 15, 43, the parallel passage says a little better, in my opinion. Joseph Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. The NIV in the Christian Standard Bible says, translated, went boldly to Pilate to ask, for Jesus' body. Why was this bold? Why would they say this is bold for Joseph, a member of the council, to go before Pilate and ask for Jesus' body? If you remember the Sanhedrin, obviously they had just authorized Jesus' death. They hated everything he stood for. He was going to be, he was contradicting everything they were trying to push. And we see in Acts later on, they would go to extremes even after his death to try to stomp out the way, the way of Jesus. They were just constantly trying to get rid of that. And so for him to go to Pilate, all of a sudden, Joseph is publicly associating himself with Jesus. And to be a member of the Sanhedrin, and to go and do that, he is risking costing his position on that high council. He's risking his standing in the community. If they see him associated with Jesus, they could kick him out of the Jewish community. And it goes without saying, he's probably risking his closest friendships by going and doing this. Now, what makes this so amazing about him boldly going before Pilate is to think about where he was. John 19, 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, but secretly... For the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he may take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. This says he was a secret follower of Jesus. So we've got this man who's boldly going before Pilate, but then shortly before, he was a secret follower of Jesus. His fears were up here. His love for Jesus apparently was somewhere down here. His fears were greater than his love for Jesus. So what changed? What changed for Joseph of Arimathea? One thing, the cross. The cross. Because Joseph at that point, he saw a man whom he loved in secret, love him publicly. He saw a man whom he loved in secret, love him publicly. And after witnessing that love, Joseph did a three, he did a 180, completely changed, all because of what he saw on the cross and how Jesus died and how he did it and his love he showed in the process. The cross changed Joseph, and I just want to pause here and just remind us that the cross can change us too. The cross changed Joseph, and the cross can change us too. I mean, we are sinners, and on our own, we can't come to God Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus, by willingly going to that cross, became our substitute for our sin. He shed his blood so that we didn't have to. And when we acknowledge his work on the cross, we ask him to forgive us of our sins, and we surrender our lives to him, then he makes us new. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And anybody can ask him into your life at any time. You can even do it right now. Because he loves us, he loves you, and he desires a relationship with you. And ultimately, we've talked about this a lot before too, deep down within us, we have a desire in us. We long for eternity, and we long for a relationship with God. Whether we choose to go there or not, that's the way God made us. And we can easily come to him. He offers that to us. And initially, when we really grasp the cross and what Christ did for us, just like Joseph, our fears become smaller. They start working their way down, and our love for Christ grows. Not that our fears go away. I mean, we're human. We're going to have fears but they, comp- they're just, they don't compare anymore to the love of Christ. And that frees us up to courageously love Jesus. When we go to the cross, it frees us up to courageously love Jesus. Alexander M- McLaren, he's a Scottish minister in the 1800s. I-, I love his commentaries, and he wrote this, this passage. And he's talking about Nicodemus as well as Joseph Arimathea, because they're kind of the same boat. And if you read John, it talks about both of them says, these men learn to be ashamed of their cowardice and their dumb lips learn to speak and their shy, hidden love forced for itself a channel by which it could flow out into the light because of Christ's death. And in another fashion, that same death and cross are for all of us too. The cure of all cowardice, the cure of all selfish silence. And you know, when we take a step back and we think about our lives, and I'm sure you all, if you were up here, you would say the same thing. We've all had situations where we can look back and say, wow, God did something to me courageously so that I could love Jesus. And we'll have these great stories to share of how God uses, how we took stands at certain points. But I guarantee you, everybody in this room, we'll also have situations where we had opportunities and that didn't happen and we failed. I look at my life. Uh, I don't know how many times I've been on mission trips and gone into places and grabbed people on the street corners and shared Christ with them, things that sometimes I even think about now. I'm like, how in the world did I ever have courage to go do that stuff? And then other times I sit there and think about the times I'm in the the boardroom at work or in a meeting or out in the community and had opportunities to take a stand for Christ, to courageously love him, and I chose not to. And it's so easy for me to get focused on the times I didn't. Man, I wish I'd have taken advantage of this opportunity. I wish I'd have done better, blah, blah, blah. It's always a tend to focus on those blown opportunities. But I love what Phil said last week about God's grace. Because of his grace, because he loves us so much, these opportunities to courageously love Jesus, they're going to keep coming. They're going to keep. We're going to have opportunities because God is a good God. And even when we blow it, he still is working on us. And he still gives us more and more opportunities to love him courageously. Look at Joseph. I mean, who knows how many times he had a chance to stand for Jesus early on. And he was a secret follower and he chose not to. But then he turns around and now we have it recorded. He's like one of the most courageous individuals, had one of the most courageous acts in the Bible, going before Pilate, to secure Jesus' body so he could give him a proper burial. And so it's just a good reminder for us to take a step back and say, you know, maybe I've blown it somewhere along the way. Maybe I've blown it multiple times along the way. But God can still use me, use you to courageously love him. And how is he calling you to courageously love him? How is he calling? And it's not just the big things. I'm not saying, you know, pack it all up and go out to some place in Southeast Asia. He may call you to that, but... It may just be walking down the hall or street and starting a relationship with an unbeliever. I tell you, for a lot of us, that takes a lot of courage to get up off my duff, go down there to a person I don't know, and try to start a relationship. Some of you, that's easy. Some of you can talk to the wall, and you're fine. But for some of us, that's a little bit challenging. Stepping up and taking a role in the church that God has gifted you, uh, I'm just so encouraged by <laughs> what Dave was saying earlier, how we're able to start up the children's thing again. It's just so many of you or stepping out in faith and doing something courageous there. What about stepping up in your home, men, and becoming the spiritual leader of your house? Um, that takes courage to do that. Because by nature, we as men, and I can speak for this because I deal with it all the time, we are passive individuals. And we will take a step back. But God God has called us to lead our families. All of us to leave our families, lead our families. And I tell you what, if there's one thing in the big church that's missing right now, it's men stepping up and leading their families. We need men to do that, to courageously step forward and say, I'm going to take ownership for my family because I am not want to stand one day before Jesus and explain to him how I led them. We need men to step up to courageously love Jesus by stepping up and leading their families. It may just be choosing joy at the beginning of the day because of everything you've got going in your life sorrows sadness there's there's so many i don't know everything going on in everybody's lives here but i know a few and i know boy, some of you got some challenges we all have challenges and some of them just seem to be more weighty than others for some of you just getting out of bed to get through the day is a challenge and so to get up and just choose joy i'm going to choose joy today despite a b c and d that's courageously loving jesus right there we're all called to courageously love him And no matter what God leads us to do, I want to read just one other thing McLaurin said here. He said, I beseech you then, look ever to him dying on the cross for each of us. It will kindle our courage. It will make our hearts glow with love. It will turn our silence into melody and music of praise. It will lead us to heights of consecration and joys of confession. And so it will bring us at last into the possession of the wondrous honor of which he promised when he said, He that confesseth me before men, him will I also confess. Amen. Courageously loving Jesus starts with remembering the cross. And Joseph courageously loved Jesus. Not only did he courageously love Jesus, he also loved Jesus sacrificially. And I I love this. Look over at verses um, 53 and 54 in Luke chapter 23. It says, then he took it down, took Jesus' body down, and he wrapped it in a linen shroud, And laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. For those of you that know your Old Testament, Jewish law required that any time a criminal was on a cross, they had to be pulled down off that cross by the end of the day and buried. It was a Jewish requirement. It's over in Deuteronomy 21. And so Anytime there was Jews up there, they had to get them off the cross and get them buried so that they didn't violate God's law. Joseph of Arimathea, he knew this, obviously, and he knew that Jesus did not deserve a burial like a criminal because he was not a criminal. And so the key point here is that in giving Jesus a decent burial, Joseph used what God had given him to sacrificially love and honor Jesus. He used what God had given him sacrificially love and honor Jesus. And what did God given him? As we talked about earlier, he had prominent position there in that community. He could go before Pilate because of his position and ask for Jesus' body. He could do that. Jesus' followers, Jesus' family, that would have been a lot more difficult for them to approach Pilate. But because of his position, Joseph could go do that rather easily than what they could do. He also, and this goes without saying, he used his wealth. Not only did he use his position, he used the wealth that God had given him. Another passage talks about him being a wealthy man. And he used that to basically take his own tomb. This was Joseph's own tomb. Matthew tells us that, that he buried Jesus in. It also indicates this tomb, I think it's in John, indicates the tomb was actually near where Jesus was crucified. So not only only was it his tomb, but he could take Jesus' body, quickly get it into a grave, into the tomb, before sundown, and so they wouldn't violate the law. He used what he had. And then over in John, they also talk about all the 75 pounds of aloes and myrrh that he and Nicodemus brought to prepare Jesus' body. You don't just go out in the city and immediately get 75 pounds of, of that aloes and myrrh. He had wealth, he had resources to do that, and he used that to honor his Lord. See, God had uniquely positioned Joseph for the task of burying his own son. God had uniquely positioned Joseph for the task of burying his, of burying his own son. And Joseph stood up and did that. And that's a good reminder, precious to pause for everybody here in the room, and talk about those that have position, those that have wealth, whether here or online, obviously god doesn't bless everybody with that but he does some and it's just a reminder for those that he does he's blessed you with that with that for a reason it's not just so you can go do and buy and all that he's given you that for a reason and that is to invest in the kingdom given to support the ministries of our church of the church in general take care of the poor we need resources to help take care of the poor And then especially for all the people that God has gifted to go out, whether they be a pastor, a missionary, go teach in a foreign country, whatever, so many of the people that God calls out, they don't have those resources, and they're relying on God to deliver. And God delivers through those that he's blessed with position and wealth. He just does. And for those of us in that situation, we have to have our hands open up and say, God, whatever I've got it's yours. It's yours. You gave me all this for a reason, and it's not for me. How can I use that? There's a, there's a guy, I'm not going to share his name in case he's listening. Um, I don't want to rob him of his joy. But there was a guy that I used to serve with previously at another church, and God had just blessed his business. He smart guy, worked hard, business just took off. And he basically had his hands, it felt like to me, in about every single ministry that was around me. It was like, you would go join this ministry and start serving there and like, such and such has given blah, blah, blah for us to do this. And then he's given blah, blah, blah for us to do that. I mean, it, it was all over the place. In fact, we were dropping Caleb off at North Greenville this past couple of weeks ago uh, for him to start school up there. And I, we're driving in and I look over to my left and there at North Greenville, there's a sign with his name and his wife's name about something they had done there at North Greenville to promote that school and their ministry there. And he's just everywhere. You know, his name just pops up all over the place. But when I see that, when I see someone like that, I like, I want them to be loaded. I want them with money. I want them with position. Because they're going to take it, and they're going to invest it back in the kingdom. And then God uses all these other gifts that people have to take that and further the gospel. It just works so beautifully, so beautifully. So for any of us that are in that boat, that, this is just a good reminder, just like Joseph. Whatever's God's giving you, whatever he's given, you, especially wealth and position, use it, use it for his glory. And if you haven't been given wealth or prominent position, that is fine. Most of us haven't. The point still is for all of us to use what he has given us. Use what he has given us for the kingdom. I love when Phil gets up here, and he's done this many times. He shares about how God called him uh, to eventually be our, our pastor here. You know, he had the gift of teaching, he was teaching at his church, had probably big classes. I'm sure he did. Just very, very gifted. And then over the course of time, God just burdened his heart that he needed to take on a pastor role. Didn't have all the answers, but courageously he stepped out in faith and God used that gift of teaching and he eventually put him here. And now every Sunday, we're all the beneficiaries of that courageous love that he had for Jesus, stepping out in faith. Jared Who's not here? Jared's actually on vacation this week, um, so I'll talk about him since he's not here and can't prevent me from doing so. But, uh, but, but Jared, y'all see Jared up here most Sundays. He and Rachel leading the singing, and I just think about Jared. Just he desired so much to want to learn from other men, and he'll be the first to admit administration is not his thing. You know, organization that's not his deal. But God has gifted Jared with a passion and with the ability to just to put people at ease when he talks to them. And I tell you what, to watch him grab 15, 20 men, however many we have at the Men's Wisdom Forum, and for him to sit there with us and start talking, to put 15, 20 guys at ease and then all of a sudden have us all yakking, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. And he, the way God has made him, he's able to do that. And that was a big step of faith for him to say, well, how do I get this going? I'm going to step out in faith and do it. And I just used he and Phil as just two examples. I could probably go around this whole room and use many of you all examples that way too. But it just reminds us God has given us gifts. He's given us other things that we can use for his glory. And we all, and I'm guilty of this, we all need to take time every so often to just kind of step back and say, am I aligned, am I using what he has gifted me with, what he's given me? Am I aligned with him and his kingdom? Is there anything out of whack that I need to take stock of and change? God can use our gifts and what he's given us to do some incredible things. He did it with Joseph, and he can do it with you, and he can do it with me. May our prayer always be, Lord, here I am, and here's what I have. It is yours to use. Here I am. Here's what I have. It is yours to use. Joseph loved Jesus courageously. And he used what he had to love, Jesus, sacrificially. And then finally and briefly, this account of Joseph reminds us that even when things around us don't make sense, God is still working to fulfill his promises. Even when things around us don't make sense, God is still working to fulfill his promises. There's many prophecies in the Old Testament that I could have chose. Uh, This one I think is just, just wonderful how it just ties it all in isaiah 53 9 this was spoken 700 years ago 700 years before jesus death said and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth and can you imagine if a a jew reading that or any of us before he was not knowing how it all finished to read that and think how in the world would he be with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Those two just don't seem to go together. But you know what? It worked out just as they prophesied. It happened just as he said. Who would have predicted that in three short years, Christ would take two Jews off the roof that most despised Jesus and fulfill a prophecy that he made 700 years before to bury him in a rich man's tomb? God, <laughs> when they were at the lowest point most of Jesus' followers were at the lowest point. God used Joseph and Nicodemus to prepare for what was going to be the greatest day in history, the resurrection. He used them to prepare for the greatest day in history. And it reminds us that he's always working, even when things seem dim. He's always working. And I know for many of you, and I know for me, it has been so easy to get discouraged, you know, year, um, just over the past several weeks, months, we could probably go back even the last year, year and a half. I, I try to keep up with the news and what's going on, uh, but I tell you what, it just brings me down when I, when I look at all that and just, I get so uh, frustrated, I get fearful. Um, you just, It's just natural, I just uh, start cringing and just a whole host of emotions. And this passage just reminds me and it should remind all of us too, it reminds me that I have to go back to the cross. I have to go back to the cross. And the cross reminds me of God's promises. I got to go back to the cross. And the cross is going to remind me of God's promises. He promised a Messiah. He promised that that Messiah would come and die. And he did. He promised that he would raise him from the grave. And he did. And he promised us eternal life through him. And we're going to see that one day for those that have turned our lives over to him. And the cool thing is, he promised that one day, despite how bad we may see see things right now, no matter how bad it may get, he's going to return one day. As Dale in that song, I love the end of that song, It Is Well With My Soul. He's coming back. He's coming back. Revelation 22.7 says, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, behold, I am coming soon. He is coming soon. And and 2 Peter 3.13 reminds us that when he comes, we're gonna have a new heaven, God's gonna create a new heaven and a new earth. And that verse also says it's going to be the home of righteousness. Isn't that cool? The home of righteousness, where everything is pure, where it's good, everything where God intended for us to have happens what he had created in the garden, one day he's going to restore for us. I tell you what, it doesn't get any better than that. And the boy, I tell you, you sit there and you see sometimes what's going on around us, you're just like, ooh, ooh. But when we go back to the cross and we remember God's promises, you know what? I can courageously love Christ today. You know what? Because of the cross and his promises. I can sacrifice for him today because of his love and his promises. So until God decides he he comes home, whether he's going to come get us and take us home or we end up, our time on this earth ends and we go to be with him, however that works, God is going to still work through us and in us to love him courageously. And we can have joy in knowing that nothing, nothing is going to stop God from doing what he said. We can have joy in that. Amen. In conclusion, um, Joseph loved, as we saw, Jesus courageously and sacrificially. And this account reminds us that God is always working to fulfill his promises. You know, I wonder if someone were to ask Joseph of Arimathea if going before Pilate was his most courageous moment, I wonder if he would have said yes. If I was in his shoes, I would have probably said, absolutely, that would have been my most courageous moment. We don't know. Maybe he had others. Who knows? Interestingly, Scripture doesn't tell us anything else about Joseph of Arimathea except what we're seeing right here in this passage in the other three Gospels. Maybe he continued to serve on the Sanhedrin. Maybe he was kicked out for expressing his allegiance. Maybe he became a big big leader in the, in the Christian movement there, the way as they called it at that time. We don't know. We don't know. But here's what we do know is that he went from a secret follower because of the cross to one who courageously loved and sacrificed for his Lord. And, you know, when you take a step back, really, isn't that how we all would want to be remembered one day? You know what? I don't remember much about old Kevin. I don't remember much about Sarah. I don't remember much about Dale. I don't remember much about David. But I do know this. They courageously loved and sacrificed for their Lord. would not that what we'd love to be remembered about? One man used what God had given him to courageously and sacrificially love his Lord. And as Luke aptly stated there at the beginning of this passage, now there was a man. Let's pray. Father, as as we just pause now and just contemplate what you did through your servant, Joseph of Arimathea, and we think about our lives and how the cross and what you did there for us on our behalf, how powerful that is, how when we truly go, just contemplate what you Meditate on it. God, it just uh, it just makes us love you more and more. And as we love you more, even though our fears are real, we may not know or understand what's going on. Lord, they just can't help but pale in comparison to you, your love for us. Lord, I know at times I struggle uh, with this. God, just work in my life that I would just cling to you, cling to the cross, and that you would just take that and just make me bold, give me opportunities to courageously love you and as you give them to me, Father, I just pray I would be bold, that you would be bold through me, and that I would just show my love back to you. And I pray that for everyone here. Lord, we, uh, we're all in different boats, but you've all given us Areas of life just to serve you and to courageously love you. Would you just open your eyes to those and would you use us for your glory? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from Life Point Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him.